Welcome to the Customs House podcast with Carlo and Phil. My name is Phil, and this is the podcast where people from all over the world come together to exchange ideas and share their stories of Asia and the world. In every episode, we hope to give you some fresh perspectives to sail away with as you set off on your own personal adventures. My name is Carlo, and in today's episodes, Phil and I will be talking about uh, the creative industry, really, around the world. Uh, and our guest today is one of my first friends in Singapore. Uh, she's originally from the U.S. East Coast. She's lived in the U.K. and Singapore. She spends most of her time creating awesome video content for brands all over the world while secretly plotting her next Emmy Award-winning show. She's worked on branded content, music videos, TV shows, and documentaries in over 40 countries, 40 different countries, rather. Please welcome Laura Otier. Thank you. Hey. Welcome to the show, Laura. Welcome to the show. A lot of people don't know that, uh, yeah, Laura was probably, I think, it was probably my second or third week in Singapore when I met you. Yeah, I think it was October. We were at a Halloween party. Do you remember what you were dressed up as? I don't remember what I was dressed oh, up as. I, I was probably dressed up hard. as nothing. Yeah, I did not yeah. try very hard. <laughs> that's usually where people meet in Singapore, like Halloween parties. And that's where long-term friendships really form. Yeah, yeah I mean, we've been yeah. friends for five five years now. Because Good five years now. Yeah, so yeah. Laura, you moved here from the UK, straight from the UK to Singapore, am I correct? Yep, I moved here um, on Singapore's 50th National Day celebration. I literally landed on National Day in 2015. Oh, no way. Um, oh. And I you landed remember, right through the fireworks. Yeah. I remember <laughs> right calling my parents and, and just being, you know, where am I? Like, what is this? Everyone was parking <laughs> on the streets. There was like red powder being blown around. It was awesome. It definitely set the tone for the next five years of pretty fun times. Hey, interestingly, next week, uh, next month is National Day again. Yeah. So it's their 55th anniversary. So hey, it might be big. It, I mean, uh, given the circumstances, I suppose. Uh, well, <laughs> 2020. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess I'll be. But what did you? What did you, uh, why did you come here originally? What, what, what uh, you know, was it simply because of National Day? You know, you, you <laughs> wanted to see it. Like, uh, what, what were your first uh, thoughts of why, what, you know, what encouraged you to move to Asia, I suppose? Um, I was working for a startup in London who wanted to uh, essentially open up an Asia office because they went public, they were doing pretty well. Um, so they sent me out here on a project with a PNG brand. Um, which turned into my, my first client out here. And um, mm. I ended up kicking off the whole production team and um, taking it from there, stayed with them for six years in total. Um, oh. And then have since moved on to another company. But, but yeah, moved out here with, with the startup. It was, and it went really well. Yeah. <laughs> me out how, here. how did you feel when your boss told you, hey, Laura, we know you've never been to Asia, but we're sending you there to essentially set up you're technically a small startup yeah. business there. How did you feel about that? Uh, yeah, have you been like, here before? No, um, I was like, let's do this. I'm <laughs> so up for the challenge, um, especially I think having worked internationally in Europe and the UK, you know, I already knew that the the challenges that come with, with that kind of work associated, and I think it inspired me to just want to do more. I was almost getting bored in Europe. I was mm. like, this isn't enough. Like, let's throw mm. in a few more languages. <laughs> 
yeah. So but did you at least get, have you, had you ever gotten the chance to travel to Asia before coming here? Um, yeah, I've been to, I mean, I've been to the Asia Pacific, I guess I've been to Australia and, um, that Japan. doesn't count. Come on. Let's China, but not, <laughs> not so much Southeast Asia, um, mm. really hadn't explored Southeast Asia. Right, right, right. Cool. Well, for people who don't know, actually, uh, Laura actually knows a lot more about Asian culture than I do. She, she was the one person who introduced me to, uh, Gudetama. Uh, the, mm. the, the, the egg, the happy egg, uh, cartoon figure, uh, who I was not familiar with until she told me about it. Yep. Yep. The new Hello Kitty, Guritama. They used to have a cafe here, right? That closed down. Did they? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's closed down already. Yeah. Have you, have you been, Phil? I, I passed by, like, it's, it's not something that we will probably, it, it, it was overpriced. Like, I think they were banking more on the brand of that lazy egg. Um, rather than the food. So I don't know, like not to hit any Gutatama fans out there, but yeah, it wasn't my thing. No, I, I, I think, you know, clearly Laura fit in, you know, uh, with her knowledge of Gutatama and Asian culture, she fit right in, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, I've got a few little Gutatama stuffed animals. Not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Hopefully we'll, we'll have some of them on the, on the show uh, in the next episode. <laughs> Um, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, this episode's all about the creative industry, really, and how um, uh, it's changed over the years and, you know, differs in different uh, regions, different, you know, uh, countries and whatnot. You know, you've been in, in media and the creative industry for such a long time, Laura. How did you kind of, uh, uh, how did you know that this was a passion that you wanted to get into? Um, well, so I think... I think us three actually are a really good trio to talk about this. Um, while we come from different parts of the world, all three of us kind of were introduced to the entertainment industry um, in the, the same kind of way. I think we were glamorized by it. We were mm -hmm. excited to work for the TV networks like um, Discovery, which you know, it's Food Network, et cetera, yep. Travel Channel. But I, you know, I come from Viacom background, so I think it really really set us up um, for excitement and it, we were willing to take lower pay compared to our finance friends <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, right. because we, we loved what we did, right? Um, so I think it's kind of amazing and maybe we're lucky to have seen that because it's it's a past, um, a long past that's no, no longer with us. The TV industry has massively changed. So I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I started out getting really excited about the whole entertainment industry and to see how it's changed over the past. 10 years, um, it's just been, you, you couldn't have imagined it really. No, I know, I know. I mean, uh, Phil and I, you know, we're, un, you know, unfortunately, well, three of us are unfortunately no longer working with TV networks yeah. at the moment. It's, it's something that I, I do, I do miss. You know, I grew up watching a lot of TV, grew up watching a mm -hmm. lot of the uh, movies. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, Hollywood definitely was glamorized, at least in, in my household. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I think there is a bit of a renaissance uh, happening, at least pre-COVID. There was a, a renaissance happening in, in, in global entertainment. Uh, you, you see local entertainment in, in, you know, even here in Asia uh, picking up. Production quality has gone up. Mm -hmm. Korean culture, for example, Korean dramas, Korean movies, uh, Thai movies, Thai TV shows, you know, mm -hmm. they're all on the come up. And, you know, I think uh, it's it's great to see. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of collaborations too, like you know, Gary Haji. It's a collaboration between. Oh, such a good show. Japanese Phil, you have to. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, nope. 
Nope, I haven't seen it yet. You you have to see it. It's such it, so for people who don't know what Giri Haji is, uh, it's a Netflix show. It's uh, it's a Yakuza TV show, uh, and it's set in London. Mm. So the show is half in Japanese mm. and half in in English, and it's just a. Was that sorry? Oh, you're seeing a lot of those collaborations now. I think it's really cool. Exactly, exactly. I, I was telling my uh, advertising friend who works at Dentsu Aegis, the Japanese and English uh, uh, company. This is essentially Dentsu Aegis, really, but in a TV show format. <laughs> true, true. So, what do you guys think? Like, has the content gotten better? Be like, has you know the dramas, the the overall storytelling, has it? Is it is it the re is that the reason why like content like you know Haji something that you just mentioned is so you know popular and so well accepted as compared to let's say content ten years ago? Do you feel like it's more of the content rather than the platform, or is it more of the platform? That's a really good question. I think well, personally, uh, I'll let Laura speak. I mean, she's obviously our very okay. special guest today, but I think that it's a bit it's a bit of both. Um, I think platforms like YouTube, platforms like Netflix have given uh, voices to content creators who were maybe previously not given voices, mm, uh, whether it be uh, content creators in Indonesia, for example, from Jamaica, from Spain or Mexico. You know, in, in most of the world, obviously, English-speaking content has been the most po uh, popular, uh, but times have changed. You know, mm -hmm. the rise of shows like Narcos, which is a is a Spanish-speaking uh, mm -hmm. TV show. Shows like, as we mentioned, Giri Haji, uh, all the K-pop uh, TV shows that we've seen are super popular even in the U.S. Um, did I say K-pop? Uh, K-drama, rather. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's become more globalized because of the internet. Because of the platforms, I mean, I think these new platforms have paved the way for more real shows. I mean, we mm, came from reality yeah. um, or scripted reality, which now it's, I would almost say the content that I'm still doing is still scripted reality. It's just not for a TV network anymore. It's true. Um, most of what I do is working with real people, talking about real stories. Um, so you can plan as much as possible, like we did back in the day, um, or I would do for, for the the more reality programs or documentaries I would work on. Whereas now, um, yeah, these platforms are paving the way for real stories to be told by real people. And you can't really predict how these things will go. So mm. as a producer, I guess I'm just ready for crazy constantly, ready, <laughs> like any that's, second. That's same for me and Carla with this podcast. We're just ready for crazy. <laughs> like for people who don't know, we do not do any kind of editing to this podcast. <laughs> so we're yeah. just trying to get ready. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had one film or one shoot just the other week, actually. Um, I'm doing a virtual shoot with uh, the Premier League and, well, the Liverpool Football Club. And we had mm. our talent. Um, this is a live broadcasted show every night of the Premier League. And our key talent um, had to be rushed off uh, set 30 minutes before going live. So oh, as, as a risk management person, you know, that was just that was the worst case scenario. Um, yeah. What are you going to do? And we managed to, someone was on our side. We managed to luck out really well from that by having a backup there, account. But, um, is there even insurance for that kind of situation? Yes, but 
you're dealing with real people, right? So yeah, true. Only so much you can cover. I know, I know. No, but it's it's a crazy time for content. You know, I think the rules of engagement have changed. The the gatekeepers to content creation have become so much more democratized. Um, you know, gone are the days where a select group of individuals are choosing what gets pushed out. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't get the, you know, you don't have uh, a group of like-minded individuals who only like uh, shows by, uh, you know, white male uh, comedians, for example, uh, and just turning out shows uh, of that nature. Mm. You know, you have a, you know, even look at, you know, traditional TV in the U.S., you know, you're getting more diverse faces um, on TV, like from Fresh Off the Boat, for example. Uh, there are way more uh, female uh, leading uh, shows, leading le female-led shows, rather, uh, in today's day and age than there has ever been before. Uh, so yeah. I think that's great for content. Yeah. I think one of the differences that I think I've seen also is just the level of authenticity in the content that we have now, especially like platforms like YouTube, even Facebook. Um, it's just so real. And I think people appreciate that, that you do not necessarily need to have your content very glossy. You don't necessarily need to have great lighting all the time. Um, just as long as, again, it's a story of a real person telling it from a very real way. And it, it hits people at a different level that I think traditional TV platforms would never have been able to do because exactly what like Laura mentioned, even the re reality shows where a lot of them were scripted. Um, actually, I just, me, you know, I, we just Googled the other day, like, are you guys familiar with the show Kitchen Nightmares? Yeah. The one with Gordon Ramsay? Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I know Gordon yeah. Ramsay. Uh, so watch a couple of episodes and we thought like, hey, is this actually real? And then when we started to, to do a quick Google search that we found out like, hey, some of, some of the scenes apparently were scripted. Um, uh, so yeah, man, like I, I think it's that level of authenticity. And I think for me, at least I appreciate it much more now as compared to let's say five years ago when we were I was in a old older TV network yeah absolutely yeah. working here in Asia Laura what have you seen uh, perhaps uh, you know what have you learned perhaps from working here in Asia uh, and you know coordinating with you know people who uh, might not be familiar with Asia as, as much um, yeah I'll try to answer that not as not too broadly. <laughs> um, basically, I mean, coming from filming in the U.S. and then U.K. and and Europe, I I had films in enough countries to understand cultural uniqueness um, that I needed to be sensitive to. Um, so I think the biggest challenge for me moving out here was wrapping my head around um, who I'm meant to be producing content for, because it's completely new territory mm -hmm. for me. Um, you know, a lot of major brands headquarters moved out here. Um, in Singapore, which is great for us because now all of a sudden there's like a ton of money floating around um, with big networks. And so I feel like we're often tasked with um, speaking to the Asia Pacific region as, as part of the brief. But ultimately what I think a lot of major brands are missing is that 60% of the world's population, um, right? So those are 60% mm. of people with very unique behaviors of how they're entertained, um, you know, what they're watching, when they're watching, how much they're watching, um, you know, are they on the train on their way to work? Are they mm, mm. trying to sneak in a Premier League live screening while, <laughs> while doing their banking? And I you know there's just such an interesting 
uh, level of audience out here to cater to. So as someone, I guess, responsible for delivering this content, um, I, I almost made it my duty to, to educate these brands on the audience behaviors and in the region um, and to really make sure that that cool, quirky uniqueness of South Korea or, or Japan or, or mm -hmm. India or China, you know, doesn't get lost in these briefs. Um, so I think for me, that's been the biggest learning curve is, and like, thank God I love to travel. All three of us, we've been on trips together mm -hmm. and stuff. I've, I've used those trips to really understand the people on ground and, and use that mm -hmm. to my advantage. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Yeah. I think when a lot of brands kind of try to do, let's say an ad for the Asian market, it's just one piece of content that they roll out everywhere, assuming that yeah. we're all the same. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it's like for even for Southeast Asia, you, you have so many diverse cultures, even like for, for example, the Philippines, we're a multitude of cultures as well. We're not just like Filipino. There's exactly, you know, yeah. people from Cebu, people from Mindanao, you know, people from, from Luzon, the North. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is, I think a lot of companies that was their, the big lesson that they had to learn coming into Asia as well. But I think more, I, well, at least from what the ads that I've seen, at least a lot more companies have more localized content already. And I think they've learned their lesson. I think, I think definitely brands and companies are learning for sure. I think uh, what a lot of, uh, that's something that brands have done really well. And I think that entertainment companies are learning more and more, you know, gone are the days when, you know, uh, companies from, you know, uh, Europe or the U.S. can sell content here all that easily. You know, lo local content creators are becoming uh, much stronger. Production, uh, production quality is going up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, you know, local TV networks don't necessarily have to rely on, you know, uh, reality shows coming out of the U.S. They don't want, they might not necessarily want to watch the Real Housewives of you know, yeah. Beverly Hills. And you know, no one, no one wanted to anyways. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, it's hard also to, like you were saying, Phil, not to generalize for even one country. There's so many things to consider. And I, that's what's been the most fun about working out um, out here for the past five years is, is learning that myself um, and mm. figuring out how to speak to these, these regions um, and not lose what makes them so great. True. True. What do you think uh, is the future of the media and TV business moving forward? You know, yeah, obviously we see a lot of we've seen a lot of globalization. You know, obviously travel has shut. You know, uh, <laughs> at least for the time being. What what happens now post COVID? Yeah, or during COVID. Um, or during COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the future of the entertainment industry is at least has been tested and hopefully we we won't have to go through this vigorous test again um but you know sports shut down um concerts shut down what what made our weekends great shut down so um for me luckily i'm in a position that i could morph with it we are doing a lot of virtual shoots now i mentioned i'm doing a virtual shoot with the premier league now um they're not my client but it's that's uh what we're filming around and um, we're also now filming in Sri Lanka in a couple of weeks. Um, again, another virtual shoot. So luckily I, I have experience with local crews on ground to know that I can trust them. I don't always need to be there on, in person like I, 
I thought I did um, in the past. So I'm being able to produce remotely, which is kind of awesome. Um, you know, as I think about the future and, and what I'm capable of, I'm almost more excited that it's not going to be as much as I love traveling. I don't know if I'll love traveling to the extent that I've been doing it um, for the rest of my life. So I think, um, yeah, the, the most exciting part about the entertainment industry is that people have adapted to like, you know, concerts. We may not have them right now, but we do mm -hmm. have TikTok and we do have Twitch yeah. and, and we're able to see DJs at home and it, we can, we can live chat at them, which is something that is pretty amazing, right? Like True. being able to talk directly with your idol. Um, that's something that has been there. The technology has been there, but no one really used, um, and, and our live streams on YouTube, people can live chat on that. You can, there's a lot of opportunity now for engagement, which I think is definitely a huge thing to keep in mind as we move ahead um, for brands and advertising agencies alike. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad and encouraged that you mentioned all of that because I was getting worried Netflix was gonna run out of new content. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously all the content they're releasing now had been filmed maybe last year. You know, by the time we hit like December, November, December, January, they're gonna run out of stuff in the in the pipeline. They're probably are we, get, are we, are we gonna be going to be getting reruns of Seinfeld the rest of the the rest of the next you know I'm okay with that. Years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I that's a, I mean that's an interesting point, right? Like are they gonna start running out? Um or are we gonna start to see a shift in in the content? I mean, I don't know if you watched this horrible show called um uh, I have seen it. It's horrible. Like, <laughs> what is it? What is it? <laughs> what is it? It's not Love in the Wild or Love is Blind. Love is, Love is Blind? No. There was one no. that came out after that that was just Too so Hot to Handle? Too Hot to Handle. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. I saw that show. I you, knew it. You can claim you were forced to watch it, but um, I know <laughs> that you were targeted and would have enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> it honestly yeah. is such a simple concept and it's so basic but it works because even at the end of it um they had a reunion episode i don't know uh -huh. if you saw that and no, I, I was, it was too i mean I, I i enjoyed the odd you know uh brainless show but you know by, yeah, the, by the end bad. of it i had run out of brain cells really so yeah <laughs> well they, they had a reunion and it was all virtual so everyone dialed in on like a oh. zoom call and the host who was um faceless it was always just a voice all, all of a sudden became you put a face to it and it, it just okay. it actually was really nice it, it made it more person like personable i guess more relatable um yeah so yeah i i don't i wouldn't say it's a good example of quality content but um it definitely <laughs> but hey i mean i'm glad we're using it as a case study for the future <laughs> of, of content really the producers would be proud yes. uh, if you haven't seen it we're not getting any commission or maybe we are watch uh, too Hot to Handle on Netflix. I wouldn't be surprised if this trio was sponsored by Too Hot to Handle. <laughs> <laughs> we were thinking about reaching out, but um, they said no. Yeah. yeah, maybe season two. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. If you could, uh, this is this might be a, a, a you know, obviously quite a hypothetical question, but if you could film anything right now, Laura, you know, from a personal standpoint, what would you? You know, what would you want to, to do? You know, what we were talking about, uh, you know, passion projects and whatnot. Uh, you know, um, do you have any things that you had in, in the pipeline, you know, without perhaps giving the entire IP away? 
Yeah, that's the tough part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had an idea to film, um, how do I say this without giving it away? Essentially. <laughs> where, where would this be filmed and what genre perhaps? This would be reality drama. Okay. Okay. And this would definitely be um, part of a social circle that I have seen a very popular Facebook group. Um, oh yes. You told me about this idea. You told me about this idea. I know yeah. we shouldn't reveal it here on this show. I think maybe not. Um, <laughs> I guess my point is Singapore, the expat culture here, which um, sometimes is embarrassing, but there's a Facebook group that's really popular. Um, there's like a few of them, right? Like there's Only Way is Singapore and Singapore Expat Wives. And um, uh, I can't remember the other ones off the top of my head, but there's, there's a bunch of those that maybe have 20,000 followers, right? Like that's a wow. lot for Singapore. Um, and I, the conversations that happen in these groups need to be turned into little mini episodes. They're just so perfect. Um, so I've just thought that was an untapped market. These real conversations and then turning them into, you know, scripted pieces, but. Interesting. Yeah. Laura, you know, I've told you this before. Let's do it. Yeah, let's let's do make it. it happen. I mean, we're meeting up next Tuesday, right? To talk about We are, we are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think besides something as simple as that because i think some of the best content is right in front of you and it's obvious mm, just do it mm. um kind of like this podcast like it's a great idea to just sit and chat um you know it's day. funny because when i asked you this question i didn't think it would go in this i remembered this story from about a year or so ago but i was more thinking along the lines of you know the documentary that you did uh back in uh how, how long was it maybe four or five years ago in yeah. uh, rwanda yeah. Yeah, I was, was going to like? really obvious content that's in front of you that you should just do. There's definitely more of the passion pieces that I yeah. miss. Um, mm -hmm. It's been a while since I've done a documentary that I was really proud of. But um, I, yeah, I produced a few documentaries in the past, but the one that I enjoyed the most was definitely filming in Rwanda um, with my friend. He's a director. We, uh, we went over there just telling a guy's story, just following him around. Mm -hmm. And um, and we didn't really know what we were walking into. And it ended up being something that I felt really proud of to this day. And the, the ending message of this film um, called Soccer My Savior was about promoting sport, um, uh, promoting, okay, let me get this right. Um, promoting peace through sport. So we're teaching younger um, children, you know, sportsmanship and playing soccer, et cetera. Um, you can learn so many valuable skills that you'll have in the mm. future about, um, you know, just being nice to people who are different from you and mm, yeah. sharing and teamwork and all that you just, you get through a game of football. Um, yeah. so that was really interesting. Do you get a, I'm just curious, Laura, because like, I guess for a lot of uh, people who are outside of the media business, um, usually they see, um, the main characters as the heroes of, of the documentary or the film or whatever, and these are the people who get famous. I'm curious, like, even for yourself, you, you know, Carla mentioned you've been to 40 different countries doing all of this content. Um, is there, like, a cert certain level of fame also for, in terms of people like you on the background? Like, do you get start to get recognized, whether it's by regular people? Like, hey, I saw Laura OTA um, in the credits, you know, the or even people in the industry. Like, is there any kind of fame that goes with all of the or is it a thankless job or is it a thankless job <laughs> so 
executive producers that you will know of, those are the guys who basically fund the films. So I would say they get some recognition for funding the films, yeah. but a good producer is thankless. Like the whole mm -hmm. point is to make sure this film is delivered without any hiccups. And if, if that happens, then they don't know about you, then that's good. Like you've remained behind the scenes and you've let this thing fly off the shelves. So I, I love that, you know, that kind of behind the scenes club that I feel yeah. part of. Um, I think if I wanted to go more creative route and be more recognizable, I'd probably be a director or creative director. Mm -hmm. And that's my, why my role is just behind the scenes. That's why I make it a point to watch the credits, just to give these people in the background some credit. Yeah. You know, do not skip the credits. You got to watch it. Look for grip man number two, you yeah. know. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always like, oh, that, that gaffer, he's so good. Like, he did this stuff. Like, oh, the catering there? business was yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> the caterer, you know. Yeah, you got to, because again, I think, you know, going a bit deeper into this particular topic of COVID, because actually that's one of the industries that was incredibly impacted by COVID was actually the people in the back end, like the people who supported these big films, these pieces of content. Of course, like the big stars, they're they're kind of okay because again, the the wealth and the fame are there. But a lot of those people in the background, they're they're really having a hard time, I think, right now, and they need yeah. more support, I guess, more that's than ever true. compared to other people. So that's why, like, these guys got to be recognized. They they're an important part of the business. Yeah, and not just it's the, the content supply chain. Mm. Yep. Essentially, yeah. the people who deliver. The first yeah. thing that comes to mind, I, I went to film school in, in Vancouver, and obviously Vancouver is such a hub for uh, production talent. Yeah. And much of the IP comes from the US. With travel restrictions, what work do these Canadian um, production people have? They have mm. nothing, really. There is nothing mm. going on. Like, I, well, I'm, I'm not super you know, uh, in touch with, you know, what, uh, what, what productions are going on in, in, in Vancouver or Canada or wherever, but I can imagine the, the you know, the, the, their travel and their shoot schedules and everything have been massively affected by this. Yeah. Yeah. If you're used to being on ground, um, you know, luckily we all work in very digital savvy companies now, but, um, if you're used to being on ground, it's really tough. I don't know how some people are managing, they're having to shift really. They're having to wear multiple hats. Yeah. yeah. So I think I always strive to be a master of one skill, but it's true that the industry has evolved to being a jack of all trades to be cheesy. Yeah. True. yeah. True. True. As a um, kind of like wrap up kind of topic, I, I wanted to get both of your perspectives, both Phil, Laura, and maybe I'll share my own perspective later. We've all worked in media and entertainment for a while uh, and we've all shifted and, you know, moved on. What have we learned from our experiences working in media and, you know, what has changed about how we viewed, uh, you know, TV and entertainment all, from all these years? That's a good uh, question. Yeah. I mean, I'll just thinking off the top of my head, I, it's very personal, um, but I, I think it's also very relevant to what's going on around the world. Um, you know, I moved out here thinking I was moving to Singapore, but my first client had me living in eight countries um, over nine months or, or basically for the first year. So I never 
it's not really a one-stop shop kind of attitude moving out here. I think you really have to understand the different audience behaviors that I mentioned earlier and um, to know who you're producing content for and, um, and be able to be successful in this, this industry. So my biggest kind of challenge and learning is, is the people. Um, and I, I love that I've learned that and I'm going to take it with me in whatever I do, even if I end up in a small town in New England producing local news films, you know, I don't know, but I, I just think the whole world, especially places like the U S are very, um, full of international people and we need to speak to all of them and, and appreciate the uniqueness that they all bring. So, um, that's been my happiest, um, learning from mm. living in Asia, I guess. That's good. That's good. How about you, Phil? For me, um, so I think for me, like in terms of media, in terms of content, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more on the, um, on the positive side, like, I want media to be a force for good. That's actually mm. the reason why I left um, my previous TV network in the Philippines because I felt like, of course, I wanted to go international and work in Singapore, things like that. But at the same time, I wanted to be part of content that that was more of value, like that actually provided people something to take away um, that betters their life or better is their career or whatever. And that's the reason why we also actually started this podcast is because we wanted to make sure that people are getting good content because I know that there's a lot of shit content out there. Like the, the wonderful series that you guys mentioned earlier that we actually spent about five minutes talking about. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of content like that, like too hot to handle. So for me, like my kind of personal, pers uh, my kind of, my, my philosophy right now when it comes to content, when it comes to media is always trying to put a positive side, a good side to it. <clears throat> everything that I do and everything I post, whether it's here or even on LinkedIn, I, I, I do a lot of posts on LinkedIn. It's always about like, hey, is this going to be of value to the person? And if yes, and how good, how can I make sure that I can share it with as many people as I can? So I hope for those content creators out there who are listening to this podcast, hey, you know, you have powerful, you have a very powerful skill. Like a content creator is a storyteller and can move really countries and people. So use it wisely, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's kind content. of my, my, my PSA. That's my PSA. <laughs> and, um, I would say content creators in Singapore are, are the starter to your sourdough. There you go. Precisely. It starts exactly. out small, it starts yeah, exactly. out small, but you keep exactly. adding some, some more water and <laughs> turns into a massive loaf. Um, exactly. I, I really, I really believe in that Bill. And I, you know, I completely agree with you. I think, I mean, yes, content is there to entertain, but content is also there for a purpose. And I, I think I've also personally at least found perhaps what I can contribute to the content industry, to the media industry. And I'm here to help fund and keep good content going. Uh, and I think that's my role in the whole ecosystem. I want to be able to, you know, uh, fund uh, content that means something to me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the future is bright, I think, uh, for all three of us in the industry. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great way to end our show. Uh, we'd like to thank our uh, guest today, Laura, for joining us today. Um, we'd like to hear your own personal stories of uh, living overseas, uh, different industries that you've been in. Uh, please email us at the Podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram 
the handle is at Custom House Podcast. Um, and we will see you for next week's show. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next week.